the punchline is things are going to change whether you want them to or not. And it's not just the little things. The big things are going to change. The institutions that you can't all know, the banking system, the political structure, even things like how we move goods about, our education system, our communication systems, all of these things are going to begin to break down and pressure is going to come on them. China and Russia have just announced with the creation of their currency. Welcome to Gold Silver Pros, where you'll learn the ins and outs of the gold and silver markets. Searching for the best precious metals deal? Our affiliates are of the utmost trust, quality, and highest customer service in the industry. Shop with our trusted partner, Arc Silver. Access special deals on silver, gold, and platinum through our website, or call 307-264-9441. Hi, everybody. This is your host, Robert Keats with GoldSilverPros.com. We are recording and publishing this on Thursday, August 4, 2022. Today, I'm going to change gears a little bit and bring you guys some really important information. And that is my perspective on what's going on in the world, where we are. We're going to take a snapshot of that. And then where we may be going. Um, yes, I am going to talk about China, Russia, and the U.S. and that geopolitical, uh, in the geopolitical theater, and how the U.S. is failing that battle. But I also wanted to put it to a bigger context. And why am I doing this? Well, in my life endeavors, I've been more successful when I start with the big picture and I work my way down and I collect data and look at things at a granular level to help me make decisions. But if I were just to focus on data and statistics and only look at investment activities, I'd be missing the bigger picture. I would miss the big trend or what I call the super trend. And so we're going to talk about the super trend today, in particular, as it relates to the current geopolitical situation. And I'm going to bring in some research that I presented on the channel before, but I'm going to bring it back in in a new light, given that we're further down the road of the destruction of the U.S. empire. And that's right. I call it a U.S. empire. Then where we were when I first started reporting on this and back in 2018, I think the very first article and paper I, I writ, wrote for public consumption uh, for my subscribers and in, and in public journals was back in 2018 when I talked about uh, the fate of the U.S. empire and how I didn't think it was going to last. And of course, being somebody that talks about things ahead of time, uh, a lot of people won't accept that and you'll get a lot of criticisms criticism and it's fair i accept that i accept the criticism but as things progress uh it's nice to from my own perspective to check in where we are and also to share that with you but also to combat some of the naysaying that goes on because it's always true that the truth is not first accepted when it's learned it's only when that truth has become so obvious that people have to internalize it that they end up internalizing it uh, there's a lot of philosophy around that by the way a lot of psychology around that by the way uh, but yeah, I don't, the, the purpose of this video is to outline some of the areas in which I think the U.S. politicians are failing, but more importantly, where our, our culture, the U.S. culture and the U.S. system is starting to fall apart and how quickly that's going to come. And again, we're going to tie back some research of where this is pretty much, I mean, it's been the case throughout history. It's not as if, you know, we're any different. And I'm going to prove where American exceptionalism, it can't really be true over a long period of time. It certainly can be true over a short period of time and typically is in a lot of cultures. But everybody in the past has thought that they were the, the, the most exceptional empire to ever live. They could never be defeated. Things would never fall apart. And of course, those are always famous last words. Uh, talking about the Russia-China uh, situation I wanted to bring up one article I read today and one tweet post I made around Brittany Griner. She 
For those of you who don't know, she's a famous basketball player that's played here in the United States on the women's teams. Uh, she plays in Russia. She was caught with cannabis. There's some uh, dispute as to whether she had it or was planted uh, by somebody in Russia, whether it be officials or someone else. But in any case, they've had her, or they've held her for about six months. Uh, the U.S. has tried to get her out. Those talks have failed. And it came out very recently that she was sentenced to nine and a half years a prison in a Russian colony, not a prison, but a colony. Think of like a gulag or something along those lines, almost like a prison camp in a way. It's a prison colony or prison city, if you will. So it's not just a prison. It's a place in which she's going to get lost in their system. And I don't know if, you know, if she's even going to make it the 10 years and get back, if they're going to hold her, you know, if she gets out, certainly we hope we do. We, you know, we pray for her families and her friends and, and we don't want to be callous talking about this, but it's an example of where U.S. diplomacy has failed. Uh, when in the past have U.S. diplomats failed to bring somebody home that we really wanted to bring home and that fell into the legal system of another country, especially a high-profile star, star like Brittany Griner, and that we failed? I mean, it it may have happened in the past, but I think this, to me, is a big middle finger from Russia to the United States, basically saying we're tired of your stuff. Not only that, but Russia and China have come out basically accusing the United States of running uh, criminal a criminal empire of subjugating their economies to the United States' own uh, to the point at which Russia and China have just announced an alternative world reserve currency. And I want to talk about that for a moment. That does not surprise me at all. I wrote about in my book in 2009. I published that book in 2010. I wrote about that 13 years ago. And it was almost 13 years to the day in which China and Russia announced that they were going to have their competing world reserve currency in that language after I wrote about it in the book. Now, when I wrote about it in the book and, and finished it in about August of, of 2009, about 13 years ago, almost to the day, um, most people, and I got that published, most people thought I was nuts. And it was a section of the book, a section of a chapter in which I called the China plan. And I outlined what China was doing and what I thought that they were going to do. And I kind of projected my thoughts out. And that's come to pass and it's come to fruition. So now what you have are aspects of the American empire crumbling. We've lost our political power. We are quickly losing our monitoring currency power. We're losing our trading power because of China's Belt and Road Initiative. And also in part, but not fully because of the Ukraine war. And I wanted to talk about that for a moment. I received a lot of criticism uh, at the very beginning of the Ukraine war from when Russia went in for people thinking, one, I was a jingoistic American, and two, I did not understand that conflict, and I think I've proven that not to be true. I, I was one of the first ones to call out the fact that, you know, one, the, some of the reasons Russia is invading Ukraine is, one, wheat. They want naturally grown wheat, not genetically modified. Ukraine provides a lot of that, and Ukraine has become the the fertile stomping ground for Monsanto and other companies to put in their brand of seed, which Russia doesn't want for a lot of reasons. Uh, secondly, uh, the U.S. had chemical and U.S. and allies, NATO allies, had chemical plants in Ukraine right next to Russia, and they were trying to move missiles into it. It's very clear that the U.S. empire had been encroaching in Russia's territory, and that was a Russian response. And I don't think this is fully the, the, the fault of Russia. Now, Russia is in Ukraine. A lot of people have died. That's horrible. I'm not saying it's it's a good thing, but I think it was a reaction largely in part to the U.S. and NATO creeping up on Russia over the years. And if you go back and look at the map, there are a lot of maps out there for the encroachment of NATO closer to Russia and NATO and the, and the nations closer to Russia. It's pretty clear that Russia felt ring, it was being ring fenced and it was being threatened. 
And when a large nation state or a large, large, um, capable uh, animal, if you will, gets cornered, it's going to bring its claws out. And I think that's what Russia did. It's not excusing the deaths and the destruction, but just putting a view on it that the U.S. and NATO really push Russia into it. What eventually happened anyway, probably. And that's what I really want to get into. So we've talked about a few of the things, the monetary system, the political situation. Of course, we're going to talk Pelosi. We'll go back to the political situation. You have the Brittany Griner situation. And then with China, you have Pelosi. Pelosi went over to uh, Taiwan uh, ostensibly to recognize their independence from China and help that government out because China has been there's been more rhetoric around them owning uh, Taiwan, believing they belong to them, and and China sending aircraft over Taiwan. It looks pretty clear that they're going to take Taiwan at some point. I'm pretty confident in that. Uh, the U.S. sent Pelosi, Nancy Pelosi, over there as part of our Congress to to talk to them, also to go to South Korea, which I believe she's in now to just kind of run the circuit, but also to show support. And politically, that put a lot of pressure on China and Russia to basically say, uh-uh, Taiwan, or China specifically, say Taiwan's your, not your territory. And, you know, we're going to send uh, ships over Taiwan while you're there. Uh, you know, We're going to make it clear that we don't like this. And so you could say, well, but they didn't really do anything. But But every event leads to heightening geopolitical conflict and eventually to hot wars. If you don't think that'll happen, you just really have to look back at history. I'm going to bring a little bit of piece of research into this. I'm going to refer back to something that I've talked about a lot. Sir John Glubb had run many armies in his time, both for uh, the UK and for, um, I guess, other allies in the Middle East. And he traveled around the world and was a conference speaker, uh, was knighted, of course, and was considered a very intelligent guy. He wrote this paper back in 19... Uh, I want to say it was 1971, although it was published here in 76. And he talked about he had done research over the fate of empires because he was looking at England falling apart while he's living there in the emergence of the American empire and Bretton Woods and, and that whole geopolitical realignment. And it was under the guise of that that he wrote this paper, did his study and wrote the paper. And the fate of the empires really talks about all these empires. So if we're looking at uh you know, what he studied, he studied all the way back to ancient Assyria, went through Rome, Britain, Russia, Spain, Ottoman Empire. So he looked at a lot of them. The duration of these were about 250 years each. Now, if you sense the the announcement that that the nation state was basically saying we want to be a nation state and then you count 250 years and that's generally about the end of it before the next one arises. And I'm simplifying the United States. That was Declaration of Independence in 1776. It's been getting close to 250 years. And so the thought is. If the United States runs its course like these other countries, we don't have that long left before we're no longer the dominant power. And I think that that's very clear what's happening. But there's one piece that I really wanted to read off of this, which I think uh, will be very enlightening. It's called The Pros and Cons of Empires. I really encourage you guys to read this piece. So what uh, John Glove says here in The Pros and Cons of Empires, in discussing the life story of the typical empire, we have digressed into a discussion of whether empires are useful or injurious to mankind. We seem to have discovered that empires have certain advantages, particularly in the field of commerce. So economic, think about economics is always a big thing in the, the political cycle. It's also a big thing in geopolitical relations. Commerce is important, always has been. Empires are also important in the establishment of peace and security in the vast areas of the globe. But perhaps we should also include the spread of varied cultures to many races. The present infatuation for independence or even smaller, smaller units will eventually doubtless be succeeded by new international empires. So what he's saying there is, as people get more independent, as commerce allows more wealth, 
uh, more and more nation states will form because people identify based on sets of characteristics and form nation states around that. And it can, when you know, and has in history produced more freedom because you have smaller homogeneous units of people deciding how they want to live. And it also gives you more options if you want to go somewhere, if you can afford to move somewhere. That generally is considered a good thing is what he's talking about. He says the present attempts to create a European community, and this is this is as the euro, the eurozone, and and the the euro currency and the trading bloc is being created. Because remember, he wrote this in the seventies. So he's talking about the formation of the European Union, the euro, the European Central Bank, all that stuff. He says here the present attempts to create a European community may be regarded as a practical endeavor to constitute a new superpower. I've talked about this before. In spite of the fragmentation resulting from the craze for independence. If it succeeds, some of the local independencies will have to be sacrificed. If it fails, the same result may be attained by military conquest or by the partition of Europe between rival superpowers. The inescapable conclusion seems, however, to be that larger territorial units are a benefit to commerce and public stability, whether the broader territory be achieved by voluntary association or military action. Let's talk about that for a moment. In 1976, he's calling the present conflict. He's saying that there's going to be conflict as people expand their empires. What's happening with NATO and the West? They're expanding towards Russia. Russia doesn't like that. Conflict, war, economic sanctions, repercussions. What are the repercussions? Repercussions right now are that everything that Russia has, commodity-based, are more expensive because of sanctions. That's caused prices, especially in energy commodities, to go up, but other things like platinum and palladium. It's also caused a forced reorganization of markets. Because when you look at what Russia can export, like natural gas or other goods, it can go two ways. It can go east, it can go west, well, you actually go south, but only has a certain amount of, of trade routes. And it can't shove everything through China. It can't shove everything through the east, through the sea, because those can only handle so much trade. It's not built up. But what it so when the sanctions came down, it forced Russia to reevaluate its entire import export, its entire port system. It's entire means for trading. And that's what Sir John Glove said was going to happen 50 years ago. Why? Because he studied the fate of empires. So again, it's not as if we can't predict stuff is going to happen. It's not as if we can't understand what would happen when we look at history and we do like John Glove has done and we put all of this into a framework in which we talk about what's going to happen, then it becomes pretty interesting. One other thing I wanted to show you, and this is an article I wrote several years ago, is something that got put out in 2021. Um, well, I think it was actually put out before uh, 2021, but this one's from 2021. It's a histomap. It's 4,000 years of world history, BC 2000 to uh, about 80, 2000, 1900 something. And it's talking about all the different nation states. So at the beginning, 2000 BC, we had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight dominant nation states. You had the Hindus, you had the Minoan period, as I'm reading this, I need my glasses, the Egyptians, the Hittites, the Amorites, Iranians, Indians, Huns, Chinese. If you scroll down to modern day, and this isn't adjusted for 2022, but it does include up to about the year 2000, there are a lot more. You've got a ton of different civilizations. And what happened over time, if we slowly scroll through this, it's exactly what Sir John Glubb said. It started off as a few nation states, the rise of commerce and uh, more wealth allowed them to fracture, fracture, fracture the way we have many. But according to Sir John Glove, we're going to go back to having bigger nation states. Why? Because the advantages of big nation states and empires themselves are that you get better commerce, better opportunities, 
uh, blit better political situations until that breaks down and it goes in cycles. So it seems to be not only a 250 year cycle as Sir John Glove pointed out, but if you look at that histomap from Visual Capitalist, it's a 4,000 year cycle. There are cycles about the formation of nation states, the formation of currency units, the formation of political structures and cultural structures and trade and all of those types of things intermixed with all the technology that gets built, but also the predominant culture that sort of rules over the world, which has been the United States for a long time. It's no longer going to be. And I think where the U.S. is failing right now is it doesn't understand it's the end of its empire. We don't understand we're at the end of our turn. This has been the end of our turn. And because of all the decisions we made, it's going to end and it's going to recycle. And we're going to cycle again. And that's what happens. And I'll, and I'll go back to his research and we'll just show you, um, we'll show you that chart. So you go back, here's the chart. Assyria lasted 247 years, Persia 208, Greece 231. He breaks a Roman uh, nation state into two, two periods, the Republic and the Empire. They were about 233 years and 207 years, of course. Elements of, of the Roman Empire, sorry, lasted longer than that. But in terms of what he saw as building different nation states and their different influence and how they were run, he, he saw two of them, and they lasted less than 250 years each. Then you had the Mar Mameluke Empire, sorry, Ottoman, Spain, Romanov, Russia, and Britain, his. And again, he wrote this 20 years after what he considers the fall of the Britain as a dominant empire in 1950. So this is not something that is new, and it's not something I don't understand. I do and have understood the issues with China, Russia, and the United States from political and cultural and economic perspective. And what I see happening is the fall of the American empire. And I've said it before, it's very controversial, but it's blatantly obvious what's happening. The mechanics of our economy are falling apart. So too are the mechanics of our political institutions because there's so much divisiveness. And that's something that John Glove had in his paper. He said, when the nation becomes more divisive, less homogeneous, more heterogeneous, meaning many more competing ideas, when you see the rise of feminism and the rise of intellect, not the feminism's bad, but when feminism becomes predominant in society to the point at which it uh, effectively um, negatively affects the masculine power, in other words, the feminine takes over the masculines, put it that way, and it becomes stronger. And you also have the age of intellect in which people no longer pursue creating things, but just learning things. Then the whole system kind of comes down. In other words, you've gotten so rich and you've gotten so expansive that there's nothing holding you together. And the bonds or the glue of what held you together falls apart. And I think that's what we're seeing in the United States. So what does all that mean? Why, do, why does anyone care? We've been in this, you know, for about 10 or 15 minutes and you guys are waiting for the punchline. The punchline is things are going to change whether you want them to or not. And it's not just the little things. The big things are going to change. The institutions that you can't all know, the banking system, the political structure, even things like how we move goods about, our education system, our communication systems, all of these things are going to begin to break down and pressure is going to come on them. China and Russia have just announced with the creation of their currency that they're going basically working together to become a new regional superpower. Now, remember the histomap that I showed you. I'll go back to it one more time from a visual capitalist to show what Sir John Glubb said what happened was a reorganizing of the great nation states. Fewer and fewer nation states into super regions. And what China and Russia have done, along with the rest of the BRIC nation, is creating a super nation. Now, it's not all constrained by the same geographical, physical boundary. It's more now done sort of virtually in that it's it's constrained by 
compatible economic and trade systems. Okay. So no longer will we just have a Chinese empire of just China and a Russian empire and a Western empire. We'll have the China and Russia and the other BRICS nations and the Middle East all working together. And whatever territories China wants, like Taiwan, it's going to go get them. Maybe it tax Australia would not surprise me. And it's going to use that to, to build up its power in this new super regional world structure. And I think we'll get down to maybe six or seven or eight regions of people together. And that's why the U.S. is trying to strengthen NATO. That's the military aspect of their super regional empire. But China, Russia, and the, and the other nations around the world are building their own. India, Africa. Africa will come into play if, they're if they can get their political system stabilized around fair trade and they can take control of their re massive resources and build from within. Right now, China is trying to get in there. Uh, other Western you know, companies are as well. But really, it's up to Africa to determine what Africa will be. And if they unite under their own superstructure, it could be one of the most powerful civilizations we ever see. Why? Because they have incredible, incredible resource wealth. But they do need assistance with forming stable political systems. I'm not going to get too deep into that. But I think sometime in the future, uh, Africa will establish itself as a potential super nation. I think that will happen after China. That's my long-term projection, just based upon everybody wants to get into Africa. So that if everybody wants to get in, that means it has a lot of value and it in itself will probably rise at some point as a competitor. Maybe it's just one of these super regions, but that's all going to change. So what does it mean for you and me? Well, all the political boundaries that we see, all of the cultural things that we see, you know, are going to change. Our life is going to change. So it's not just holding gold and silver. that's going to help you out. A lot of it has to do with understanding change and reacting to that. So it's quite possible that it's harder to get services here than we've had in the past. It's quite possible that our politicians aren't as responsive to us. It's quite possible our currency isn't worth near as much and we don't have as much purchasing power. It's quite it's, it's quite possible and, and very likely that whatever we depend on right now that we take for granted may not be here to the same extent. And as the United States continues to make mistakes in interfacing or in engaging China and Russia in the geopolitical scene and, and pushing China and Russia to make these decisions – to build their own super regional empire, which I think is what's happening. The United States, you know, from a political standpoint, could be digging its own grave. And so, yes, I understand the Ukraine conflict and how it, it plays into the whole geopolitical conflict, not only for now, but I'm talking about over thousands of years and what that could look like, you know, looking back in the past and what it could look like, you know, going forward. So I just wanted to clear that up. Where does it go from here? When does that happen? I don't care about specific time dates. I look at milestones. I think we're pretty close to where we're going to start having major economic issues in the United States. I also think that the economy being global at this particular point in time means that those weaknesses in the American economy and in the European economy, and to some extent China as well, are going to basically spread across the world. It's going to be, I mean, if you want to talk about a pandemic, you know, forget COVID here for just a second. I think a bigger and more impactful pandemic is going to be the economic one. It's going to be the failure of the current banking system. It's going to be the failure of the current economies. But it's going to be from that, the flowering and the creation of these super regional uh, uh, super states, what you would call like uh, regional powers. And within those regional powers, there's going to be a leader. I think in the China power, it's going to be China. You know, in, in the in the West, I don't know. I, I think the West could break up and reorganize. Some of the Western nations could go over to China. Maybe the, the, there's a you know other blocks that are formed. But I think we're we'll see some movement. It's kind of like thinking about free agency in sports. 
you know, free agency period arrives after the basketball season, you see LeBron James move to the Lakers. Why do you move to the Lakers? He perceived them as having more of what he wanted, more money, the ability to build that empire of that team the way he wanted, because many consider him the GM, to recruit his teammates from other nation states or other teams, if you will. And, you know, whether or not that's been successful, that's a good analogy for what's going to happen geopolitically in the world. People are going to trade countries and economies and things to figure out how do we get more power. And I think we're going to go to a period in which we have superpowers again, a lot of regional superpowers. And it's going to be a multipolar world, not only in currency terms, but in political terms, cultural terms, um, a lot of terms, trade terms. And that's what's coming. And I think that's the big picture. And I think there's so much change coming that you're going to have to prepare yourself now. I do think it's it's survivable. It's not like any of these nation states that fell away from the dominant position just disappeared and the people disappeared. We're all still here, but it just means the way in which we view ourselves and what we have access to and what we take for granted are going to change. And I think it's pretty obvious you know, what's going to happen going forward, and I've called it before. I thought that NATO would put such pressure on Russia that you would see Russia get pissed off at NATO. And Russia may eventually invade another NATO nation or a NATO, NATO may invade Russia. But I don't think that conflict at Russia-Ukraine stops at Russia-Ukraine. People think I'm crazy, but then you had Putin coming out and said he would nuke NATO if they tried to add more NATO member if they tried to add more NATO members on, on his border. And so I think it's pretty clear that there's going to be an escalation to a bigger war. When that happens, what the catalyst is, we can only surmise. I do think it's going to be the result of the economic destruction. In other words, everybody, every nation state knows, including China, Russia, everybody, you know, the United States, UK, Europe, they all know what's coming. They're not going to tell you. They're not going to tell the people because what they have to do is ring fence their people into a certain way of thinking so that that gives them political and economic power to go do what they need to do on the world stage. So they're not going to go and panic all of you guys and say, this is what's going to happen. And then things fall apart internally. And then the whole thing goes to crap. And I'm not saying that they shouldn't be telling us. I do think they have a responsibility to us, but I just, I know why they don't. And they're on the world stage grasping for resources. And that's why you see a bunch of stupid mistakes being made. And you see what, what looks like a lot of rule breaking and law breaking. I think all the international laws are completely broken right now. And I think when it comes down to it and there's more economic chaos, all the treaties, all of the agreements that have heretofore been agreed to around the world could potentially collapse. And that's where you get a lot of geopolitical alignment, economic realignment, military realignment, is when the stuff hits the fan, it's going to be a mad scramble. And... I do know that China and Russia will work together. I do know that US, Japan, and USA and Australia will work together. Beyond that, the rest of it may be up for grabs. It, it's going to be LeBron and KD picking teams, you know, for the All-Star game. And they're going to be picking their players. And it may not be who you expect to be on each team, is on each team. And so it could completely change direction from what we think now. And the best thing is just to be prepared for that eventuality. See, in other words, it's it, to encapsulate this. It's not just the 250-year empiric cycle of the United States. It is a 4,000-year super regional cycle affecting the entire globe coming to fruition at the same time, which is why there's so much crap going on right now. It's really hard to ingest it all. And what I would suggest for you, if you want to be successful going forward in dealing with this situation and preparing yourself as much as possible and shielding yourself as much as possible and making good decisions for yourself, your family, so on and so forth, that you understand that 
we don't know what this is going to look like going forward. We know pieces of it, but not the whole thing. And it could get very chaotic very quick. And, and, and maybe that doesn't last long, but given the cycles, I think it lasts a while. So you may want to begin thinking about how do you interact in this world? How do you react? What do you do? And it may, I think it is going to be a situation where as you build your personal network, that network is what's going to support you. Because if we have chaos in the markets here, you may not be able to depend upon your government, your police. You may not be able to depend upon the politicians as much. They may be ineffective, may not have as much control. So you are going to have to form your own homogeneous communities within what we call the United States, within what you call your city or your state. And those homogeneous communities, and I don't mean from a racial or even an income perspective, but I mean from a thought pattern perspective and a value perspective, and uh, hey, we need to survive this crap perspective that will span you know, different races, cultures, and income levels. I think it will span all that, but it's going to be very local. So I think going forward, everything's going to be very local, local produce, local trade and commerce, local access to information. I don't know if the internet's, internet's going to be as dependable. It may or may not be. But I think what you're going to have is a bunch of locality forming around individual city states and maybe even neighborhoods to a large extent. As the United States grapples with the collapse of its own internal structures, resulting from it spreading its empire too far, the rest of the world saying, screw you, and then this big reorganization occurs. And again, it's not just a 250-year nation-state cycle that Sir John Globe wrote about. When you look at the bigger picture, it's a 4,000-year cycle. And, and I think there's so much uncertainty that it really behooves people to try to understand this and not just sit on their hands. And that's really kind of why I'm doing this presentation. I, I would like you guys to go into this weekend with with one goal related to to this, to your investments and to your future well-being. Um, think about what you would do in this type of situation. If what I say is coming comes to pass, what would you do? How would you react? Um, I think it could be the, the most important conversation you have with yourself and your close loved ones and your friends that you may ever have because it's going to affect every area of life. And so I could put this into a fancy chart and do all that kind of stuff, but I just wanted to chat with you about, uh, about it for a minute to explain, I think, what's coming. That yes, I understand this. I'm not just a gold, silver channel. I primarily study everything. And it's going to be important that you guys understand this going forward because it's going to affect you. It may also affect the ability at some point in the future, this is years in the future, my ability to reach you because I said everything may go localized in some of our institutions, which includes the internet and electricity and things that make all of this work that you're watching me on now may start to fall apart. And so we may need to form our own regional communities of support networks in which we either do this via the internet or in private meeting. And I suspect the town hall meetings and private meetings and uh, the second amendment with the right to assemble becomes more and more important moving forward. And which of course, why we need to protect our bill of rights as much as possible, because those rights are, are going to be how we deal with the situation. Um, it's not the end of the world, by the way, it's not doom and gloom. It's just a change, which is coming in something that we need to address. There is always a pain period in change. However, if you're positioned right in, in every way, I'm talking about spiritually, intellectually, from a relationship perspective, economically, financially. If you're positioned right, it can actually provide you incredible opportunity for growth, incredible opportunity for happiness, incredible opportunity for forming new relationships. But if you don't, it could be the exact opposite. It could be hell on earth for you. And for a lot of people, it's going to be. 
And so please have sympathy for people and empathy for people as we go forward, because it's going to get hard for a lot of people who don't understand this. And all that I can do is put the, this out here for you, but hopefully you guys share it. But in a nutshell, it goes like this. We're in the middle of a bunch of different cycles. We've got a 4,000 year super regional nation state cycle. We have a 250 year dominant U.S. nation state si empire cycle, U.S. empire cycle. You have a bunch of 80 year conjurative economic, a uh, political economic cycles coming together. Uh, you have all other sorts of other cycles coming together in, in more specific economic context. And you also have a lot of cultural and political cycles. All of that basically means we're going to go through tremendous amounts of change. And we can either go protest on the streets and throw bricks through store windows and shoot each other and beat each other up, or we can accept the fact that this is going to happen. We can unite, come together, support each other locally and nationally as much as we can, and just help each other get through it. And that's really our choice. And that's why I want to put this out there and maybe have you guys think about it this weekend. That's a good time to think about. It's the middle of the summer. Uh, we're all in, kind of enjoying our summer, hopefully, at least in being able to get outside and having good weather. And, and summers are always, you know, the, I think the most joyous and positive times because of the weather and people get out and have fun. And, and um, it's just always been that way in American culture. But while we're in summer, it helps to think about pending winter and what that would look like. And so now I think it's a good time to talk about it. I'm going to, this has basically been a giant riff and I'm going to go ahead and stop the riff here. If you guys have been talking about this in chat, I'll, you know, I should be engaged in the chat as well, but think about this and come back to me and what I want to have is more interaction on the channel about this kind of stuff. Gold, silver is super important, but it's only a piece. And this is the type of conversation I think that it's it's about time to have. I could have had this conversation with people 10 years ago and tried. They just weren't responsive. So for all of you on Twitter and YouTube that think I don't get the big picture I do, it's just that when you try to talk to people about it, if it's not in the collective consciousness to the point where there's enough there that makes it so obvious it's going to happen, people won't accept it. And, and people will not accept what's blatantly in their face until they have to. But I think now there is more of an appetite here for us to start talking about these things, which is why I brought it out. And I think it's important that we, you know, I would consider everybody watching this program to be a leader because you're out there actively searching for information. You're leaders within your communities by what you do and how you think and how you act and, and the fact that you want to try to understand how the world works. Um, so you guys, I'm counting on you guys, all the people watching this video to go out and start talking to your friends and family. I think now in 2022, which I'm going to call the year of discontent in America, because for a lot of reasons has, has made it easier to have these kind of conversations. And I think people will be more accepting and more willing to talk about what to do next. What is the roadmap forward? So maybe in a series of presentations going forward, I'm going to talk about potential roadmap going forward. I don't want to just talk about the problem. I want to provide solutions. But this will sort of be the kickoff for that, that stream of consciousness on this channel. And I'll get back to doing the data reports and the interviews. Of course, that will definitely happen. But this, I think, is just too important. And it's the best time to talk about it right now. Because I talked about it in the past and people weren't receptive. Now... I think people are, I noticed people are more receptive. I, I met somebody the other day who's a college student, friend of a friend, uh, 21 years old. And she looked at me and said, the world's full of crap. And I don't believe anything, any institution. And I just looked at her and said, that's the first time I've heard somebody your age actually come out and say that to my face. Um, and I think people, there's an appetite for it now. Uh, specific, specifically the younger generations, because they're looking and have been looking for 20 years at their potential uh, outcomes and they're not as good. And so I think they're, you know, 
believe the system to be most in- disingenuous and least serving of them, but it's not the system itself that that it was designed not to serve them. It's just the end of the system and it can't serve them. It's not singling them out. They think it is, and that's what the protests are about. Oh, I'm being singled out. No, the whole thing is collapsing. So instead of us arguing internally in pieces, you know, let's not do that. Let's let's understand the bigger picture. Let's support each other and maybe think about going forward. And again, I'll come out with some solutions, more than just gold and silver. I'll come out with more solutions going forward. Uh, anyway, guys, you guys have a great weekend. We got more tech content coming for next week. We got a big news week coming up. We're gonna have non-farm payrolls tomorrow morning. Uh, I think they're going to be fairly weak because the, the trend has been declining. So we'll talk about that data. I may do a quick video on it. We'll be back next Tuesday for our Tuesday medals, Cowboy Medals live stream as well. We'll have more interviews. I'm going to schedule more of those for next week. I'll be going to Silver Symposium here. Oh, at the end of August, if you guys are going to be out in the Spokane area, Spokane, Washington, can get out there. I'd love to meet you, shake your hand. I'll be on four different presentations there, a mix of panels and individual presentations. I'll also be doing some interviews for company executives out there that are involved in the resource space. And you'll see those published over at uh, uh, Stockpulse's website, which runs the Silver Symposium in the future. So if you guys are interested in meeting me in person, go there. Of course, I'll do some coverage of that when I get back in early September. And we'll talk about that conference. Also remember, if you want precious metals, go to our partner organization. It is Arc Silver, run by Ian Everard. You simply go to the link below in the description, click that link to uh, go to the order form or the contact form, or you can go to our website, goldsilverpros.com, click on precious metals deals, click on the contact form, send it to Ian, whitelist his email and phone number, and then he'll get back to you. And he can, he can get you gold and silver cheaper than anybody else, because what he does is he searches for the cheapest deals, does it on a deal per, uh, per deal basis, but he recently filled a $3 million order. He can fill big orders when needed to because he has access to a lot of inventory. And he'll give you a discount on the premium because he's cut out all the middlemen. And so this is how we can do it cheaper. So you can go to arcsilver.com, contact him directly, and just mention Gold Silver Pros because it helps the channel. Or go to our website, click on the contact form, and I'll reach out to you that way. That's going to do it, guys. I wish you a blessed weekend and a Friday. And I will be back next week because I'll never stop. Now, one person recently asked me, Rob, you know, how long are you going to be doing this? And I said, you know what? I hope to be doing this the rest of my life. You know, cross fingers, uh, knock on wood. Hope to be doing this the rest of my life. And I'm not going to quit, you know, and, and I'm going to see this through, through the entire transition, not just the gold silver part, but I'll be out here commentating, providing my view of things as we go forward. And again, appreciate you guys. You're why I do it. So appreciate you being here. Till next time, this is Rob Keens with Gold Silver Bros. Mm-hmm.